1: To download the reading plan for Confessions, visit ascensionpress.com slash catholicclassics or text Confessions to 33777. Click follow or subscribe in your podcast app for daily notifications. This is day 35. Today we will be reading book 9, chapters 11 through 13 in the Ascension edition of the book.
0: We wanted to take this opportunity to thank everyone who has helped support this podcast financially. Your support is so appreciated and helps us reach as many people as possible. And if you haven't already, please consider supporting us at ascensionpress.com slash support.
1: Before we get into the reading, a quick look at what we're covering today. So these last chapters of Book 9 tell us of St. Monica's death in Ostia and St. Augustine's grief and mourning of his mother. If you remember yesterday's chapters and episode, St. Augustine gave us a sort of biography of Monica's life, and today her life comes to an end. So before we get into the reading, let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Breathe in me, O Holy Spirit, that my thoughts may all be holy. Act in me, O Holy Spirit, that my work too may be holy. Draw my heart, O Holy Spirit, that I love but what is holy. Strengthen me, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard me then, O Holy Spirit, that I always may be holy. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Chapter 11 I do not remember how I answered her. For barely five days later, or not much more, she fell ill with a fever, and one day while ill she became unconscious, and for a time was withdrawn from visible realities. We hastened to her side, and she woke again. Looking at me and my brother standing by her, she asked us, where was I? Then looking intently at us, who were dazed with grief, she said, you shall bury your mother here. I remained silent and refrained from weeping, but my brother said something, expressing his thought that she would find it better to die in her own land rather than in a foreign location. But then, with an anxious stare, she pushed back against him for still having a taste for such things, and then looked at me, saying, Behold what he says. Soon thereafter, saying to both of us, Lay this body anywhere. Do not let care for it disturb you in any way. The only thing I request is that you remember me at the Lord's altar, wherever you might be. And having expressed this sentiment in what words she could, she fell silent, exhausted as she was by her growing illness. But considering your gifts, O you, the unseen God, which you pour into the hearts of your faithful, from which wondrous fruits spring, I rejoiced and gave thanks to you, for I recalled how careful and anxious she had always been regarding her burial place, which she had provided and prepared for herself to be next to her husband's body. Because of the great harmony of life that they shared, she also wished, so little can the human mind embrace divine things, to have this additional happiness as well, and to have men remember that, after her pilgrimage beyond the seas, what was earthly between this united pair had been permitted to remain until beneath the same plot of earth. I do not know when, through the full measure of your goodness, this empty wish began to fade from her heart, but I rejoiced in wonder when she disclosed this to me. However, even when we spoke at the window and she said, what do I have here any longer? There was no appearance of a desire to die in her own land. Moreover, I later heard that when we were at Ostia, when I was not present, she spoke with a mother's confidence to some of my friends, discussing contempt for this life and the blessing of death. They were amazed that you had given a woman such courage and asked her whether she was afraid to leave behind her body so far from her own city. She replied, Nothing is far for God, nor should we fear that He would not know where to raise me up when the world came to its end. Thus, on the ninth day of her illness, when she was fifty six years old and I was thirty three, that holy and righteous soul was loosed from the body. Chapter 12. I closed her eyes, and a mighty sorrow flowed into my heart, which itself overflowed into tears at the same time armed by my mind's powerful command my eyes swallowed these flowing waters down to the last drop and dried this tide and how great was my woe in the midst of such strife and when she breathed her last breath the boy Adandatus burst forth in loud lamentation quieting when we restrained him Similarly, a childish feeling within me, which through my heart's youthful voice found vent in weeping, was restrained and silenced. For we did not think it fitting to solemnize that funeral with tearful lamentation and groans, as though we shared in the kind of grief felt by those who hold that the departed are either unhappy or altogether dead, whereas she was neither unhappy in her death nor altogether dead. We were on solid ground in this estimation, based on the testimony of her good life and her unfeigned faith. What then was the source of this grievous pain within me if not the fresh wound that I felt by the fact that the most sweet and dear custom of living together was so suddenly wrenched from me? I did indeed rejoice when during her last days of illness while expressing words of endearment as I fulfilled my duties, she called me a faithful son and mentioned with great loving affection that she never had heard me utter any harsh or insulting word against her. Nonetheless, O oh my God, who made us, what comparison can there be between the honor I paid her and her servitude on my behalf? Thus, no longer having the great comfort that I found in her, my soul was wounded, and the united life that brought us together was now torn apart. Once the boy's tears were stilled, Aodius picked up the psalter and began to sing, with our whole house responding to him the psalm, I will sing of mercy and judgment to you, O Lord. Upon hearing us, many brethren and religious women came together, and while the funeral was prepared, as expected, by those whose duty it was to do this, I gave an address that was fitting to the situation. By this balm, I relieved a torment that you alone saw, while they sat unaware and listening, thinking that I felt no sorrow at all. But in your ears, where none of them could hear, I rebuked the frailness of my feelings and held back the sorrowful flood in my heart, which ebbed only to flow back again, like the tide, though not going so far as to burst forth into tears or to mark my countenance. Nonetheless, I knew what I was hiding within my heart. Quite displeased with myself that I was so affected by such human things which come to pass in accord with the right order and arrangement of our natural condition, I then was overcome with a new sorrow, now grieving over my grief, and thus worn down by a double sorrow. And behold, the corpse was carried to its burial. We went and returned without tears, and I did not weep as we poured forth prayers to you when the sacrifice of our ransom was offered for her, with her corpse by the graveside, as it is the custom there, before being laid to rest there. But that whole day I was weighed down by secret sorrow, and with a troubled mind I prayed to you the best I could, asking you to heal my melancholy. But you did not grant it, for I believe you meant to impress on my memory in one stroke just how strong the bond of habit is, even for a soul that now feeds upon no deceptive word. I thought it a good idea to take a bath, having once heard that the Latin word for bath, balneum, came from the Greek word balaneon, indicating that it drives cares from one's mind. And this too, O father of the fearless do I confess to your mercy that I bathed and yet was the same afterwards as I was before, for I could not sweat forth the bitterness of sorrow from my heart. Then after sleeping and waking, I found my sorrow had lessened no small amount. And as I lay there alone in bed, I recalled those true verses written by your Bishop Ambrose. For you are God, creator of all that is, and ruler of the heights, who robing day and light has poured graced slumbers o'er the night. So limbs that have been worn by toil May strength find for work anew, and hearts exhausted be now raised, and sorrows be subdued. Then gradually I recalled my former thoughts concerning your handmaid, thinking of the holy life she lived for you and her tender and devoted service to us, of which I was suddenly deprived. And I was of a mind to weep in your sight, both for her and for myself, on her behalf and my own. Thus I let flow the tears that I had held back, allowing them to pour forth as much as they wished, resting my heart upon them and their finding rest, for they were let loose before your ears and not those of men who would have had scornful thoughts about such weeping. Now, O Lord, here in writing I confess it to you. Let whoever wishes to read it and interpret it how he will. And if he judges that I sin by weeping for a brief part of an hour for my mother, the mother for who the time was dead to my eyes, the mother who had for so many years wept over me so that I might live in your eyes, let him not deride me. Rather, if he be full of charity, let him weep for my sins before you, the father of all those who are brothers in your Christ. Chapter 13 But now with a heart that had been cured of that wound, which might seem worthy of reproach for its earthy sentiment, I pour out to you, O God, far different tears on behalf of your handmaiden, now flowing from a spirit that is shaken by thoughts concerning the dangers faced by every soul that dies in Adam. And although she had been enlivened in Christ and prior to her release from the flesh had lived in praise of your name through her faith and life, nonetheless, I dare not say that from the time that you regenerated her through baptism, no word came forth from her mouth against your commandment. Your son, the truth, has said, whoever says to his brother, you fool, shall be liable to the hell of fire. And woe even unto the lives of men who deserve praise, if you were to lay aside your mercy and examine them. But because you do not vigorously search into our sins, we confidently hope to find some place with you. Nonetheless, whoever reckons his real merits before you will find that what he counts are nothing other than your own gifts. Oh, that men would know that they are men, and that he who boasts would boast in the Lord. Therefore, O praise and my life, God of my heart, laying aside for a moment her good deeds, for which I joyfully give thanks to you, I now beseech you on behalf of my mother's sins. Hear me, I entreat you, through the medicine of our wounds, he who hung upon the wood of the cross and now sits at your right hand, making intercession on our behalf. I know that she was merciful and from her heart forgave her debtors their debts. May you also now forgive her debts, whatever she might have contracted through all her long years after being bathed in the waters of salvation. Forgive her, Lord, forgive her, I beseech you, and do not enter into judgment against her. Let your mercy be exalted above your justice, for your words are true and you have promised mercy to the merciful, to whom you gave the mercy they show. O you who will have mercy upon whom you will have mercy and compassion upon whom you will have compassion. And I believe that you have already done what I ask. Nonetheless, accept, O oh Lord, this free will offering from my lips. For so close to the day of her last breath, she took no thought to have her body wrapped in the sumptuous clothes or embalmed with spices, nor did she desire to have a special monument, nor to be buried in her own land. She expressed no such demands to us, but rather only desired to have her name remembered at your altar, which she had served without missing a day, knowing that from there was dispensed the holy victim by whose sacrifice the bond that was written against us had been blotted out, and the enemy conquered who had summed up our offenses and sought to charge them against us finding however nothing in him in whom we conquer who will repay him with innocent blood who will repay him the price at which he bought us and thus take us from him Your handmaid bound herself through the bond of faith unto the sacrament of our ransom. Let no one cut her off from your protection. Let neither the lion nor the dragon intervene either by force or fraud. For she will not respond that she owes nothing, lest she be convicted and seized by the crafty accuser. Rather, she will answer that her sins are forgiven by him to whom none can repay the price that he who owed nothing paid for us thus may she rest in peace with her husband before and after whom she had no other he whom she obeyed with the patience that brings forth fruit unto you so that she might win him also for you And pour forth your spirit, O Lord my God, upon your servants, my brethren, your sons, my masters, whom with voice and heart and pen I serve, so that all who read these confessions may remember at your altar Monica, your handmaiden, with Patricius, who for a time was her husband, by whose bodies you brought me into this life by ways that I know not. May they all, with devout affection, remember my parents here in the passing light of this world, all of them, my brethren under you, our father and our Catholic mother, my fellow citizens in that heavenly Jerusalem for which your pilgrim people sigh during their exodus until the day when they return there. Thus, may my mother's last request to me through these, my confessions, be more abundantly fulfilled for her through the prayers of many than it would be through mine alone." Okay. As I mentioned, and as you probably remember from yesterday's episode, St. Augustine has been telling us a sort of biography or the story of his mother's life, her childhood, her being brought up in the faith, her marriage, her relationship with her husband, with her sons. And um, at the end of chapter 10 which was the last chapter we read or listened to yesterday saint monica had a conversation with saint augustine about heaven about the rewards of the saints and and finishes that conversation by telling saint augustine that at this point there's not much left for her to do on this side of heaven because her son has become Catholic. St. Augustine has converted and her mission is done. So St. Monica now, as we've heard, becomes gravely ill and they begin the conversation turns to where to bury St. Monica, which is Yeah, an interesting conversation because we see here in St. Monica's attitude towards where she's buried, whether in in Ostia or back home in Tagost, you know, she she doesn't seem to care all that much where her body is left. Uh, But she does have some concerns about what happens after her death. So yeah, in any case, Father Gregory, thoughts on what's going on here with St. Monica, reflections, that sort of thing?
0: Yeah, I think you see from St. Monica kind of holy indifference. So There are things that she cares about a lot and there are things that she cares about a little and there are things that she cares about not at all. Things that she cares about a lot is the reconciliation of the members of her family to the Lord Jesus Christ and to his church. Things that she cares about a little, you know, these last moments, she wants them to be precious. She wants to have a good conversation with St. Augustine. They want to kind of raise their minds and hearts to God. Things that she cares about not at all where she ends up after her death. And I think that this is a sobering even a chastening reflection for some of us because we like to be in control and we also like to determine all the particulars of most situations in which we find ourselves. Or I should say some people like that. Other people like to be along for the ride. But death is a peculiar example because what are you, what are you gonna do? You know, Are you gonna plan your funeral? Are you gonna pick out all the musical selections? Are you gonna pre-purchase your plot? Are you gonna pre-engrave your stone? Are you gonna do all these things? Because on the one hand, you know, it's a mercy to those you know, who have to bury you because they won't have to make decisions when they are consumed by grief. But on the other hand, like, who cares? I don't mean to be flippant, because that's not my intention in the least, but you're dead, you know? <laughs> and I think that St. Monica gives us a healthy dose of, I'm, I'm dead. And <laughs> you know, I'll be with the Lord, please God, or maybe on the way in purgatory. What matters to me is Being with the Lord, what you do with my corpse, you know, we're Christians, we care what we do with the body because we believe in the resurrection of the dead at the end of the age. And that's significant. So we're not going to just, you know, sprinkle ashes over the whatever sea or whatever ocean, because that was her favorite place to surf. No, we're going to care some, but at the end of the day, what we care about is the Lord. So I think that she gives us a great standard of the things that matter a lot, the things that matter a little and the things that don't matter too terribly much.
1: You know, as as Father Gregory said, it's not a, a disdain for the body in any sense, but it's a prioritization of goods. You know, of what is what is higher and what is more important. Um, and I think the most beautiful thing here is is to be asked her asking to be remembered at the Lord's altar, wherever you might be. Just a yeah, the prayers and, and prayers offered for her, but also that wherever you might be, it's sort of it's a kind of an acknowledgement of of the journey that is on this side of eternity. It's like, we don't know. You don't know where you may be, but there are things to take with you and, and to do on my behalf. And that's to pray for me, to remember me at the mass, to remember me in the Eucharist. And like the rest is kind of secondary. I don't know if there's much more, if I have much more to say on it, but it's just this sort of prioritization of goods and, and things that are important and things to love and chase after and and all of that. So that's the conversation before her death and it's a beautiful and inspiring one. And St. Monica dies, St. Augustine tells us that she's 56 when she dies. Before I read the confessions, but knew about St. Monica, I just assumed she would be a lot older, but you know, 56, St. Augustine 33 years old when his mother dies and uh, nine days out of illness, he tells us she was sick for nine days. So in those days they spent together, they had these conversations. I guess the other thing here to talk about then is St. Augustine's, his reaction to his mother's death, his mourning, his grief. One of the things I think that that might jump out or stand out to us as we listen and read is that St. Augustine, he doesn't really weep he doesn't cry in mourning. Something I think that is a bit off-putting to him because of the sort of the excess. His son Adeodatus does, you know, immediately when his mother dies. But he 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 certainly talks about this incredible pain he feels in the, in the loss of his mom. So. Yeah. Th- he says this about his mom. I closed her eyes and a mighty sorrow flowed into my heart, which itself overflowed into tears. At the same time, armed by my mind's powerful command, my eyes swallowed these flowing waters down to the last drop and dried this tide. So he, has, he he's sort of reticent to sort of give a kind of ostentatious or showy kind of what grief just for the sake of, of show kind of thing. Um, yeah. I don't know if, if you have thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, two small thoughts is, one, it's a very different reaction than we saw in book four, and we highlighted this already, namely that he's trying to be more disciplined in his grief rather than just giving full vent to his interior turmoil. And certainly the fact that he has the Lord, uh, that he has received the faith and the grace which comes with it into his heart gives him resources which formerly he didn't have. So that's to be remarked upon. And the other thing too is there's a tradition in the church of you know like remedies for sorrow, and you see this come up in various authors, like how do we address our sorrow? And St. Thomas Aquinas has a question on it or an article on it in his big book of theology, the Summa Theologiae, and he lists a few different ones, and some of them you're like, man, that's a saint talking there. He's like, the contemplation of truth, and you're like, oh my gosh, when's the last time the contemplation of truth helped me get out of sorrowful situations? But, but that's actually what St. Augustine pursues here. Uh, He says, I was using truth as a, as a way to alleviate the pain. But then, you know, St. Thomas in the Christian tradition also acknowledges very humble and modest ways of going about it, very human ways. And so crying is a great way to alleviate sorrow. And St. Thomas will mention baths. And I, and I envision that he is in conversation with St. Augustine and recommending that because (laughs) St. Augustine says at one point, I decided to go and take a bath. You know, it's like, (laughs) at the end of the day, when you mourn, you're human even when the saints mourn, they're human. And that's not okay. Permit yourself every indulgence, eat a full bag of Sour Patch Kids, watch 18 chick flicks off the Hallmark channel, and then don't get out of bed for a week. No, it's like life still goes on and you're part of the life that still goes on. So you have to be back in the saddle to plan a funeral, to be present to the mourners, to be you know solicitous for their good at the wake, to console those who might be more affected, dot, dot, dot. There are other things that have to happen. Uh, but you see here in St. Augustine, he's going to contemplate the truth on the one hand, but he's also going to take a bath. So I love that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's a balanced approach, and I think the <laughs> contemplation of you know when if I were visiting so, somebody in a hospital who you know a family member just passed, and the thing that I said as a priest is it's time to contemplate the truth. Uh, that would be you know you'd be like, what the heck is this guy talking about? But um, so perhaps that's not the most like pastoral or Christian or charitable way to put it, but there is something to be said about recalling the promises of the Lord in these moments you know, recalling them. And something I like to preach about at funerals is is the word that's used in Catholic funerals often, or uh, and that's commend. You know, we commend the souls of our dearly beloved to God. We beg the mercy of God that they might be forgiven their sins and, and enjoy heaven, you know, enjoy happiness, eternal rest, eternal happiness. And this commendation is precisely what Monica is asking of her son to be remembered at the altars of her uh, of the Lord by her son, but also, you know, it's, it's, it's a way for us to properly mourn and grieve too. you know, the church offers these beautiful rites and, and rituals, not as a sort of hoop to jump through, but as a way by which we might express our, our grief accompanied by the Lord in the church, you know, so there there's a fullness to it. And then we can go home and have a bath, you know, it's, it's great. So that's, that's how it goes. So St. Augustine in reflecting on the loss of his mother and i imagine you know writing this the confessions years later is also the the grief is stirred up i don't think that you know is a one-time deal i you know but he concludes this book he concludes book nine these chapters on his mom's death by turning to this theme this reality this action of praising god of giving thanks to god for his for his mom and He gives thanks to God, not just for his mom, but more especially for the God's gifts that were present in his mother. You know, and this is kind of a a bookend, right? Because we had St. Augustine giving the biography of St. Monica's life of, of giving forth to us, telling us, I guess that's the proper way to say it, of her gifts, especially her kindness, her goodness, her dedication, her perseverance. And now after she's gone and after, you know, some years of living without his mother and writing the confessions, he takes this opportunity to, one, praise God, to thank God for the goodness, his goodness in his mom, God's goodness in his mom, but also continuing to beg mercy for her soul, forgiveness for her sins, that, you know, if she's not in heaven, she, she'd be there soon. Yeah, and through his confession and prayers here, you know, she's fulfilling her wish that to be remembered, to be remembered at the altar of the Lord in prayer, in the Eucharist, these sort of things. So maybe Father Gregory has one more thought to offer us before we leave book nine behind.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's good just to end on the note that, right, so St. Augustine doesn't canonize his mother. Um, He commends her to the mercy of God, like you said. And I think that's a good instinct for us whenever we confront death, especially in somebody whom we love and maybe somebody whom we know to be very good during his or her life, you know we still pray for them. And that's an expression of our hope. When we do so, it's not like, ooh, hedging my bets, person might be in an intermediate state and these prayers will help them. No, it's just in Christian hope, you know that God is omnipotent and merciful and that his promises, which are offered to all, are applied to each insofar as that person consents to and cooperates with God's offer of himself. And so in the life of St. Monica, St. Augustine has clear testimony that this woman knows and loves the Lord, and yet he still offers prayers as an expression of hope Not because, you know, he's hedging his bets or not because he's like playing what, you know, like celestial roulette. It's because this is how hope is expressed through the prayers of the saints, through the prayers of the just who offer sacrifice, right? Who offer, you know, their own acts of penitence as a way by which to atone for what, you know, stands to be perfected in the life of the individual who's gone from them. So yeah, it's cool. It's, I mean, it's just an honest acknowledgement of the fact that we all sin. We all stand before the Lord as, in a certain sense, inadequate, but we can be made adequate by his mercies and through the prayers of the saints, through which those mercies are dispensed in God's providence. Boom.
1: There you go. Well, with St. Augustine, we say goodbye to St. Monica, at least on this side of heaven. Um, but also with Augustine, we Well, we don't have to pray for her anymore because we know her to be a saint, but we can implore her intercession as so many Christians and holy ones have throughout the centuries. So don't leave Monica behind in your intercessions. Beg for her to pray for you to bring her to our Lord as she did her son. So for now, know of our prayers for you. Please pray for us and we'll catch you next time on Catholic Classics.